This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Slack. Slack is a collaboration hub for work that makes sure the right people in your team are always in the loop and key information is always at their fingertips. Learn more at slack.com. It's Monday, December 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, he's been away, but he's back. It's Taylor Muckerman. Good to see you. You too, buddy. So we had a plan. Speaking of Slack, because <laughs> yeah. we were slacking back and forth this morning about, hey, let's talk about these things. And then right before we came in the studio, this happened. Headline news flash Dow sinks 500 points as Britain's Brexit mess fuels investor angst. U.S. markets deepened their losses Monday as Britain's political crisis around Brexit clouded investors' outlook. British Prime Minister Theresa May delayed a key parliamentary vote on her country's exit from the European Union. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it turns out decisions made by the English still impact Americans. Yes, they do. <laughs> and you asked me, like, why was the vote delayed? The only reason votes are ever delayed because it wasn't going to pass. <laughs> They're not going to get what they want. Exactly. So, so that's happening. So, hopefully, <sighs> you might have to talk about you know it what? again tomorrow. Who you knows? know what? It's oddly comforting to know that when it comes to uh, when it comes to legislative bodies dealing with the leaders, elected leaders of countries. Uh, it's not just the U.S. That, is, uh, that can get messy now and then. Um, all right, let's get to uh, the first thing that we we're going to talk yeah. about, and that is the the recent filings of Uber and Lyft to go public, and not just that these are two companies that have routinely showed up on the lists of, <laughs> I mean, pick your list, most anticipated IPOs, mm-hmm. uh, biggest private companies yep. to. to uh, uh, to consider going public, but they're in the same business, um, and I'm curious how you think about these two because I, I mean I say they're in the same business. You dig a little deeper, mm-hmm. the way that they have set up their businesses, they appear to be going after different things. Yeah, you kind of seem like that when you look at these companies. Uber, the biggest, the first, uh, about four times the size, and if you look at employee count worldwide, um, but its losses in the last quarter were also four times as large. They reportedly lost a billion dollars in the last quarter. Lyft losing about two hundred fifty million dollars. But yeah, like you mentioned, Uber. Not only is it bigger and older, but it is also trying new things. They purchased uh, bicycle. Uh, rideshare company Jump recently. They have Uber Eats, which is a massive network inside of Uber, um, and also partnering with Toyota. Invested five hundred million dollars to start putting some Uber driverless technology into their minivans. So a little bit larger than Lyft, but I think Lyft is you know it's following suit nicely. I think Uber might have had a chance to really put the nail in the coffin in Uber or in Lyft, excuse me. Last year, but we all saw the problems that erupted within within Uber: sexual harassment allegations, allegations that they stole IP um, IP from Google, and then other allegations that they were kind of skirting regulators. So I think they missed their chance because Lyft was able to raise more money. Now they might go public. They might go public before Uber, raising a significant amount to then broaden their business potentially. So while Uber has the lead in pretty much every category, I think they might have missed their opportunity to really stake their claim as number one. Yes, they do have over 60% market share in the U.S. versus roughly 30 for Lyft, but um, I think this is going to be an ecosystem, at least domestically, where they both coexist and can start to thrive if they're held more accountable by public shareholders, because they've been just burning cash 
every single quarter with only the private eye watching them. Lyft has absolutely taken advantage of the opening that Uber gave them. Mm-hmm. With in the wake of the whole, you know, Travis Kalanick debacle, yep. um, in ways that in a completely different industry, Pizza Hut has not taken advantage of the problems at Papa John's. Right. So somehow, <laughs> so, yeah, so so kudos to Lyft for uh-huh. for doing that. In terms of which one is going to go public first? Yep. Long term, does that does that matter? I mean, a lot is being made in the financial media of. And I understand it if you're in the business of writing headlines, mm-hmm. sort of the uh, the race to go public yep. first. There are two ride-sharing companies. I get it, but I, I just sort of look at it and go, okay, it, like if you put a gun to my head yep. and ask me which one went public first, Dropbox or Box, I have no idea. <laughs> I, like, I, like I, I think long term, it probably doesn't matter all that much. Or, or is it something where, yeah, actually, in the short long term, it doesn't matter, but short term, it actually does. So, short term, it could, just based on like the hype around the IPOs. Maybe people get burned out on this, on the one that comes second if they already, you know, spend a ton of their money allocated towards ride sharing. I guess, however, these portfolio managers might look at it, but. I would only see this as being an advantage for the company that goes first if it came out of nowhere and the second company was caught completely flat-footed. But they're going to be IPOing in a relatively similar time frame. So, yeah, I don't think that one's going to have a necessary advantage in terms of putting that newfound capital to use in any specific way. You might have a little bit lackluster of a ribbon cutting for the second one, but I don't foresee it being a big deal for investors if you're looking at a multi-year time horizon. Have you seen anything thus far that gets you more interested in one over the other? Um, you know, I as a user, I I've stuck with Uber for the most part, so I guess my allegiance would be right there. But uh, I think that Lyft has been a little bit more focused. They've kept themselves out of the negative PR circus that that Uber has found itself in and has. Kind of gotten itself out of, but you know, there's still some overhang there. I think from public perception, uh, and as well as the way that they've treated their drivers. But I think whichever company is able to create the better ecosystem for not only its users but its drivers as well, um, I think that one will probably treat investors better in the long run. So right now, not necessarily a favorite. It just depends on if if you want. You know the scale of Uber that it has, but it's not making more money. It's it's not margins aren't significantly better. Um, so I think operationally, you could go either way. Well, and turn to go back to something you had said earlier about the pressures of being a public company, mm-hmm. because there are yeah. significantly more pressures for public companies than private companies. I could see that being ramped up on Uber more so than Lyft, simply by virtue and put aside all the stuff with Kalanick, yeah. simply by virtue of the fact that they're trying so many more things. Mm-hmm. That if both these companies go public and you're looking to put, you're an institutional shareholder, you're putting pressure on Lyft, it's really about operational stuff. Whereas with Uber, it's more like, hey look, can you scale back the the food delivery stuff yeah. and just focus on this? Yeah, because they, they made a huge bet on driverless technology, and maybe that doesn't work out. Maybe they should have just, you know, waited and then licensed driverless technology from a Waymo or from other companies that are out there, way more excelling, way more at this. So, and that's their singular focus in, in a lot of ways. But um, hopefully, they can, you know, stay on the right track, which appears that they're starting to be. Merger Monday, once again, lives up to its name. Uh, today, it's Tivity Health. Which is buying Nutrisystem in a deal valued at about 1.3 billion, and I have, we've certainly seen this play out before in terms of 
Company A is acquiring Company B. Company B stock goes up. A stock goes down. So we're seeing that today. Yep. Nutrisystem up about thirty percent. I've never, however, seen this. <laughs> the Tivity Health shares are down, basically the exact percentage that Nutrisystems are up. Yeah. So people who aren't Nutrisystem shareholders really seem to hate this deal. Yeah. Well, the only thing that really first jumped out at me was the fact that uh, Nutrisystems margins are about half of what uh, Tivity's are. So they're acquiring a business. Yes, it helps. Does it does help diversify the business? Uh, Tivity appears to be a little bit more on the health and wellness side, whereas Nutrisystems is on is on the nutrition side of, of things um, and supplying the food that these folks are going to be eating on on their diet. Um, so that would be the main reason why I could see this deal being frowned upon by Tivity investors is because they're acquiring a business that is smaller and margins are about half of what they're currently seeing. So you could kind of maybe see some dilution there as they start to roll this business in. Yeah, it does seem once again like the price tag that is being paid is part of what's mm-hmm. driving the uh, the distaste yeah. for this deal. Yeah, and reasonably so, potentially. Um, I'm not totally familiar with both of these businesses, but anytime you acquire a business that isn't your core competency and has weaker margins, there's probably less room for for some synergies there and cost savings. Uh, they did say you know they expect to save 20 to 30 million over the long term in this deal, but in the grand scheme of things, they're still acquiring a business that doesn't make as much dollar for dollar. As their existing business, yeah, I mean better brand recognition than Tivity Health. Yeah, yeah, I've never heard of Tivity. I've heard of some of the portfolio companies, but certainly Nutrisystems, very, very well-known brand. Uh, I want to get to something uh, related to yep. Nutrisystem uh, in just a second, but uh, first, quick shout out to Slack. Slack is a collaboration hub. Whatever work you do. And with Slack, the right people in your team are kept in the loop, and the information they need is always at their fingertips. And this morning, uh, I just needed one person in my Slack channel, and that was Taylor, so we could go back and forth. It's just so much easier on Slack than, it is. than trading a bunch of emails back and you're not, forth. And you're not always at the desk if you want to walk by and say hello. So right, yeah, you can always just hit the message, get it on the cell phone, or at the desktop. Yeah, it's so much easier. Uh, the mobile app is great, iOS and Android. Teamwork on Slack happens in channels, so you can organize conversations and information around projects, offices, and teams. Everything you need in one place. It's faster and easier to get things done. With Slack, your team is better connected, and you can find out more at slack.com. Also, super easy to share files, whether it's links, documents, whatever. Mm-hmm. Google Drive, Salesforce, you can tailor it to work with over a thousand apps. Just get Slack. It just <laughs> makes your life so much easier. It's like Easy Pass. Really, it's like in the same way that like when I finally got Easy Pass, and then you're driving down the highway and you don't have to. It's and then it's like, why did I wait so long? That's to get the only easy? question you ask yourself. Yeah, it's like, yeah. why did I wait so long to get Easy Pass? Like that's the thing with Slack. Like, oh my God, this is so much easier. Find out why at Slack.com. Um, so we were talking Nutrisystem. Mm-hmm. You were just up in New York with a, a bunch of uh, our fool colleagues, yeah. meeting with different companies. One of which was. Um, I was going to say Weight Watchers. They recently rebranded to WW. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Can you share a couple of highlights from from your trip? Because you met with a few different public companies. Yeah, we did, and W and W was one of them. Like you mentioned, we met with their chief branding officer, newly hired this year from Unilever, uh, Gail Tifford, and uh, they've been a turnaround story not only in terms of uh, their stock price and their performance over the last uh, several years, um, kind of beginning with Oprah taking a ten percent stake uh, several years ago. She's since whittled that down to eight percent, but still a tidy, tidy return for Oprah on that. Uh, I'm so business glad. Decision. I'm so glad <laughs> yeah, she needed more money. Something finally worked out for Oprah. <laughs> That's right. Um, and similarly to Tivity, uh, with the deal that they announced today, W and W is kind of moving towards the broad spectrum wellness, uh, health and wellness versus just um, diet and nutrition. And so Tivity is saying, you know, now they're going to be able to focus on calories in and calories out. Well, that's kind of what W and W is trying to do as well. You know, they kind of believe started to believe that there's a stigma being attached to dieting and the fact that weight was in their name. So they kind of want to just take a more holistic approach to not just focusing on what people are eating and restricting what people eat. They want to kind of allow people to be a little bit more free in their diet, but help them find ways to exercise, live live a clear mind with a clearer mind. So just whole spectrum, holistic approach to health and. Um, you can you can start to see the the buy-in throughout the company, and I think diversifying themselves that way might help bring in different demographics. Traditionally, they've been at ninety percent women for their for their subscription base, trying to attract more than just ten percent of men, and they're kind of using some app-based games for their dieting system that that they hope can achieve that. In the long run, nice. Yeah, um, I'm particularly curious about uh, your meeting with uh, Venmo. Yeah, since I am a PayPal shareholder. <laughs> yeah, so and then, a Venmo user. We were fortunate enough to meet with their COO, uh, Mike Vaughn. I believe he said he was Venmo user number 13. Um, one of the first 10 employees started in Philadelphia, then moved to New York when they needed some some funding, and uh, have since been bought by PayPal several years ago, but still kind of operating as their own business unit, leveraging some of the strengths that PayPal brings to the table, but uh, still just the Venmo business and, and running it as such. And uh, A lot of people believe that it's a social feed for making payments, but that's really not what they're about. They, they've sent a lot of their technology up, to, up the chain towards PayPal with their one-click um, which was their idea inside of the company, and then it's quickly become the most uh, highly demanded feature in PayPal. And so, kind of sharing that knowledge back and forth between the acquired business and the acquiree, exciting to see. And uh, that team is just revved up. They're starting to monetize their user base at an incredible rate, and I think that's one of the gems in the PayPal business. If you're an investor, it's incredibly easy to use. It is, and, and that's the main thing that they talked about. All the all the things that they could add, but it would just result in bloat on the app. And the, the main reason why people use it isn't the social feed; it's just how freaking easy it is. Yeah, I, I didn't even realize it had a social feed <laughs> when I first started using it, and then I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't need to share all this information with you know with the public. That no, sort you of don't. Thing. But it's it's um it's a to me Venmo is a great lesson for so many different businesses mm-hmm. in so many different industries. Just how important ease of use is right out of the gate. Yep. Because the easier something is to use, 
just the the bigger your addressable market is. Yeah, you you connect your bank account or a credit card, and it is so easy. They're getting into physical payments with the debit card, so you can kind of treat it like a checking account if you want. Uh, and yeah, just the ease of use and to see that how. That team is just so fired up still to this day and growing very rapidly, monetizing about a quarter of their members already, and they've just really started trying to monetize people. So, like I said, billions of dollars of opportunity here within this small business, growing business within PayPal. Um, last one before I yep. let you go. To you, you met with To you. Yeah, and very interesting company recommendation here at the Fool. Not one that I had really done too much research on myself until. This fellowship trip had been established, and uh, remind me their business again. Just revolutionizing online education. Okay. Yeah, so um, basically they're trying to make online education suck less. Is, is what <laughs> is what their CTO said to us, and uh, it certainly Please appears. Please tell me that's on a wall somewhere at the two U offices. It might be. We didn't get the full tour, but um, you know they they have an office very much like ours. You know, food everywhere, coffee, people. You know, engaged in conversation right and left, focus on wellness. But over 400 courses this year they've offered. Offered, uh, online with major universities all around the all around the world, and they actually got approved for the first online JD uh, with Syracuse University. So, if you've been wanting to get your online law degree and uh, you don't want to move to Syracuse from your, you know, beachside condo in San in Santa Barbara or San Diego, you can get that degree now from Syracuse uh, in the comfort of your own home. I'm sure I've never been to Syracuse. Let me <laughs> let me preface this by saying I've never been to Syracuse. I've seen pictures. It seems lovely in the summer. Yes, it is. I've been there during the summer. This <laughs> is not the time of year you want to be in Syracuse, New York. It is bearing down with the cold and the snow, and the, utilize those tunnels uh, if you do live up there. Taylor Markerman, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you. As always, people on the program. Oh, you know what? Before we go, I got to say a quick thanks to uh, one of the dozens of listeners, Joe Walsh. Okay. Who uh, sent me. Uh, a CD, um, and he signed his note, Joe Walsh, not that Joe Walsh. Because if you get a CD from Joe Walsh, you might think, well, maybe it's that one. Um, uh, no, he put together a CD of holiday music. So thank you to Joe for that. Um, and one of the things that's on here is uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie's uh, 12 Days of Christmas, mm -hmm. which uh, I took as an opportunity to introduce my 13 year old son to Bob and Doug McKenzie. And he was laughing his head off. So the the eternal <laughs> appeal of, of Bob and Doug McKenzie, um, and also uh, gives me the opportunity to remind people that yeah, all month on Market Foolery, producer Dan Boyd is making your holiday musical life better by giving you hidden gems in the holiday music universe. So. That's that. As, Love it. as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.
again The kosher butcher sold my uncle 